So, we're going to look at this letter to the Hebrews, just uh, chapter 1. Uh, and this letter to the Hebrews, it, it's a shake-up call to these Jews who had turned to Christ, but were reverting uh, to some of the practices of Judaism. They were mixing the old with the new. And basically, saying that Christ wasn't enough. He wasn't supreme. They were revering angels and Moses, etc., over the superiority of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, the Lord says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. All the glory belongs to the Lord. So, we'll switch back. Yes, now we'll go through the reading. You can do it. Hebrews chapter 1, 1 to 14. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you will fold them up. And they will be changed. You are the same, and your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? It's always important when we're going through these letters, to look at the historic, grammatical, cultural setting of all the biblical writings. That's the way we gain a proper understanding and, and an application of Scripture. So to begin with, the background of Hebrews, it's reasonable to ask the question of its date. This can be fixed fairly within good limits. Various commentaries state that the epistle can hardly be later than about AD 95, since it was known to Clement of Rome and quoted by him in 1 Clement. In addition, it can be scarcely be dated after AD 70, since there is no reference to the destruction of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Hence, it's highly likely to have been written before then. The Bible Knowledge Commentary thinks on balance a date somewhere between AD 68 or 69 seems most likely. That would be about 35 years after the crucifixion. 
The New Angus Bible Dictionary says of the, the date uh, of the writing of Hebrews, a date uh, of AD 67 to 69 would seem to fit the internal evidence. So it gives us a kind of picture about 35 years after Christ's crucifixion. The author of Hebrews is unknown. Paul, Barnabas, Silas, Apollos, Luke, Philip, Priscilla, Aquila, and Clement of Rome have all been suggested by different scholars. The only inference that seems to throw any light upon Paul, whether Paul could have been the author, is the statement in the epistle to the Hebrews in chapter 13, verses 23 to 25, where he says, Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Great, uh, greet all those who rule over you, and all the saints, those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. That's a great indication for me. I believe Paul was the author himself. Timothy had been freed from prison in Italy. We have no record of the final stage of the Apostle Paul's trial, and only ended in martyrdom in AD 68 or 67, when he had his head chopped off by Nero, the emperor. This suggests to me that it's possible that this could have been Paul's last letter to his own people, the Hebrew Christians. And there's a lot of recent reasons I've leaned to Paul. Who better, with Paul's knowledge of the Old Testament, to write a letter to the Hebrews? So this is what I presently believe, that Paul is the author. I think the argument for the difference of literary style and not proof that Paul didn't write this epistle, to say, well, the, the literary style is different to his other letters. Well, let's remember, Paul was a bilinguist. He could speak other languages. He could speak Hebrew, Greek, Italian, Aramaic. Hence, he could use varying grammar and phrases in his epistles. The author's intention is to steer these Jewish Christians away from the Old Covenant, away from the Old Testament. Not all the Old Testament, I might add, but mainly the ceremonial laws, which they may have been holding on to or turning back to, uh, like some of the ceremonial sacrificial laws. Um, so the author must demonstrate the superiority of Christ and who better than the Apostle Paul. You see, if they were holding on to the ceremonial laws, like sacrifices, etc., etc., they were basically saying, Christ's not enough. The Life Application Study Bible says, the superiority of Christ over everyone and everything is clearly demonstrated by the author. Christianity supersedes all other religions and can never be surpassed. Where can one find anything better than Christ? Living in Christ is having the best there is in life. All competing religions are deceptions or cheap imitations and are of the devil. So, in this epistle to the Hebrews, Paul addresses the superiority of Christ throughout the epistle. First of all, he says, Christ is greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses, who they were turning back to. He's greater than the Old Testament priesthood. The priesthood's finished. Well, the craft of being a priest is finished. We are a royal priesthood, I realise that, but that's different to, to being the, the office of a priest. The new covenant is greater than the old one. So in this 
this evening, we'll be mainly looking at Christ who is greater than the prophets and greater than the angels. First of all, Christ is greater than the prophets. Why? Because they wrote about him. Verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. So the writer, he first begins to give his agreement with the Old Testament witness of the prophets. He's not rubbishing in the Old, the Old Testament. Who spoke the words that God told them to speak, which all Christians should agree with. We agree with the prophets. He wants his Jewish readers to know that he's in no way dismissing the Old Testament teachings. And verse 2, he says, But as in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Who made the worlds? Christ. And then the author goes on to say that, that God has spoken to them and us through his son, Jesus Christ. And this is why they and we should listen to him, because God the Father has appointed God the Son to be the heir of all things. That means Jesus inherits everything in heaven and on earth. The cosmos, the very universe itself, and every speck of space dust, and every speck of earth dust. Why? Because all things were made through him, Jesus and for him, hence he is the owner. Is the owner. And the Apostle John also states this in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. A very familiar reading, I'm sure we're all familiar with it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. This is Jesus talking about. And the author of Hebrews then goes on further by explaining who the Son is. In verse 3, don't forget, he's talking to these Jews, you know, we, we can look and think, well, we know who the Son is. Well, he's telling these Jews who the Son is. He says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself cursed our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Telling them who Jesus is. Is the express image of the Father. Jesus is the brightness of the Father's glory. The express image of his person. He doesn't look like his Father because the Father's invisible. He is the express image of the Father. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses said to me. I've told you it before. They said, well, well, no, that only means that Jesus resembled his Father like your son resembles you. I said, no, no, no. He says he's the image of the invisible God. You can't look like something invisible or you won't see anything. The author of Hebrews is quoting what Jesus said about himself as the Apostle John records in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 7 to 9. Jesus said, if you remember, just before he was crucified, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Because he's the express image of the Father. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? Philip, he has seen me and seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? 
You know, there's been an interesting little diagram put on Facebook recently, and it's a little diagram that says the Father uh, is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but they're one. I forgot how it properly puts it, but it's a really good diagram. And you know, what we must remember when we're talking about the Trinity, and we've all maybe slipped up with this, we should never say God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, and then say they. We should never use, address the Trinity as plural. Why? Because the Lord says, the Lord our God is one. We must remember that. We're not to separate God the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit as if they're different beings. There is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Apostle Paul, writing to the Colossians, states that the writer of Hebrews states in Colossians 1, 15 to 18, this is the passage I use with the Jehovah's Witnesses, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that in heaven are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. The Bible's clear in telling us who Jesus is. He said, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He may be first in everything. And with these comments from the Apostle Paul, John, who outlived all the other apostles, and Paul, who were both written in very much agreement with Hebrews, seem to give credit that Paul could be the author of this book. Verse 3 continued. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the, the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. See Christ reigning now. Now, telling the Hebrews that all things in the universe are upheld by his word, and if he removes his word, the universe would collapse. Every planet, every solar system would disappear. They're all upheld by the power of his word. And if he removes his word, everything will collapse. All things came into being by his word and are maintain, maintained by his word. And when the, the son finished his work of redemption, he says he himself purged our sins. That is the sins of Christians only. Those who receive Christ as their Lord and Saviour have their sins purged. He then sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Paid for. He came to earth to do his father's business. Is that what he said? I'm about my father's business. He took his rightful place again and returned to the glory he had with the Father before the world was made. In John 17, 4-5, these are great passages, these. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you gave me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I shared with you before the world was. Some wonderful passages telling us of Jesus' eternal existence. He's always existed. He's not a created being. And then we see Christ is greater than the angels. 
Why are the, is he greater than the angels? Because the angels worship him. Verse 4, having become so much better than the angels, and he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. It's the name of Jesus. It's the Christ. He says, having become. This is one of the texts that the, J, the JWs and other cults use to try to say that Jesus isn't deity. Because having become so much better than the angels. John MacArthur gives a good explanation. Just the Greek verb used here refers to a change of state, not a change of existence. The Son, in his divine essence, has eternally existed. But for a while he was made lower than the angels, and afterward was exalted to an infinitely higher position by virtue of what he had accomplished in his redemptive work. He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. As we know, the Lord's personal name was Jesus, which signifies Saviour. Remember Gabriel, the angel, told Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He was to be named Jesus by the angel, who spoke to Joseph as well, in his dream. And she, he said, the angel said to Joseph, And she, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. So the angel didn't just uh, tell Mary, he told Joseph as well. He's Jesus. But I always say, I like to have his proper title, Christ. Because in, in heaven he wasn't Jesus. He was Christ. And he's always been Christ. There's a lot of Jesuses today. There's some of them playing football. There's only one who is the Christ. And the author wants his Hebrew readers to know that it was no angel who died on the cross and rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. It was the Son of God. That's what he's getting over to these Jews. We might think, well, we know this. We've read it. These Jews didn't know it. But they do now. As Paul's telling him. The angels are spirit beings created by God to minister to him and do his bidding. You know, the Pharisaic Jews held angels in very high regard as the highest beings next to God. You know, there were, there were some of the Jewish leaders who didn't believe in angels, but the, the Pharisees did. And there are only three angels named, uh, angels' names main, mentioned in the Bible. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses tried to bring one up called Moroni. He's nowhere in the Bible. You know, three angels named in the Bible are the Archangel Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer, who became the devil. And the sect of Judaism, which had established a, a community at Qumran, taught that the Archangel Michael's authority rivaled or surpassed that of Messiah. There are some who try to say that Michael is... Is actually Christ. Because Michael's name means who is like God. The writer of Hebrews clearly disclaims any such concept. The Son of God is superior to the angels. In Jude chapter 1 verse 9 it says, But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but said, The Lord rebuke you. 
If the archangel, Michael, is Jesus, and we know that Jesus is Lord, then how come Michael refused to bring a slanderous accusation against the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you? It was the Lord, Jesus. Jesus rebuke you. And Jesus certainly rebuked the devil when tempted by him, and he called the devil a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus wasn't afraid of, sl uh, of slandering the devil. And if Jesus and Michael were one and the same, why is it painting a different picture of Jesus? This Michael, who they say is Jesus, is disputing with Satan, but too scared to accuse Satan. However, in the New Testament, Jesus shows uh, a Jesus of authority, who speaks boldly with fire, driving demons out. And he also rebukes Satan during his temptation. Get behind me. There are numerous examples where Jesus speaks in authority. So once again, Michael and Jesus cannot be the same person. But Michael is the chief angel. He's the archangel. It doesn't say Gabriel is an archangel. Or Lucifer. Lucifer, fallen angel. He says, Michael is the, is the archangel. Verse 5. It says, but to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So, in a collective sense, the angels are called the sons of God. Same as we are. In the Old Testament, Job chapter 38 verse 7, they're called the sons of God. But the Lord Jesus Christ has always been the eternal son of God. In verse 6, but when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. That little bit there where it says, when he again brings the firstborn into the world, it could be actually talking about the second coming. When he again brings the firstborn into the world. Not necessarily. But some thought of Jesus as the highest angel of God. But Jesus is not a superior angel. And in any case, angels are not to be worshipped. Colossians 2.18 Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. You see, we should not regard any intermediaries or authorities as greater than Christ. As we know, um, the Roman Catholic Church venerates the saints, venerates angels, and venerates Mary. Mary wouldn't want that. There are no intermediaries between God and man except Jesus Christ. Jesus is God. He alone deserves our worship. <coughs> Hence the firstborn cannot mean a mortal or an angel or any created being because such are not to be worshipped. Otherwise that would be to worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Remember what Paul and Barnabas did when people bowed down to them and said they were, the, were gods? They tore the clothes. They said, get up. We're men like you. And since the, since the angels are commanded to worship the Messiah... The Messiah must be superior to them. You see, the Sadducees 
didn't believe in angels. The Pharisees did. And the Pharisees had an exalted view of them. And the author wants his readers to believe in angels, but not to worship them, nor consider Christ to be one. He's not saying there's no such thing as angels. There are angels. Don't worship them. And in verse 7 he says, And of the angels, he says, Who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? See, the author of Hebrews quotes this scripture from Psalm 104, verse 4. Angels are ministers, but they're not saviors. And will not sit on the throne of God or be exalted. No angel will sit on that throne. Verse 8. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. See, the Father is calling his Son God, whose throne is an everlasting one, pointing out that there was no previous king to him in heaven, nor will there ever be a king in heaven after him. His righteousness is his scepter, the sign of his rule. He has never done anything wrong. He's the perfect, sinless son of God. He's never made a wrong judgment when he was a man on earth. He never had a wrong motive. He never agreed with any sin. His scepter was one of righteousness. He rules in righteousness. This is verse 9. It says, you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. This is a, a great quotation from Psalm 45, verses 6 to 7. That unlike any other person who ever lived, he perfectly loved righteousness and perfectly hated lawlessness. There was absolutely no fault in him. As there has been in all the other created beings. Therefore, unlike his companions, which may refer to his companions in heaven, the angels, or his companions, the prophets, because they were sinners, or his companions, the apostles. None of these could be anointed with the oil of gladness, which depicted Jesus Christ as the anointed one. Verses 10 to 12. He says, I knew, Lord, in the beginning, laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak you will fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not fail. So once again, the author of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 102, this is 25 to 27, in order for them to realize just who the Son is. Paul's got to get this over. I keep saying Paul, I think he's the author. He's got to get this over to these Jews. He made the earth and the heavens, plural, meaning the earth's atmosphere and the cosmos, because they are not eternal, you see. Our atmosphere and the planets, etc., they are not eternal, because they were created. And he says, like clothes, they will perish. The physical universe will perish. And when we might fold up a cloak and put it away, that's how the Lord will fold up the universe. The created universe, and he'll do away with it. And all will be changed. 
and he'll create a new heaven and earth in which righteousness dwells. And though the heavens and the earth, and heavens plural, will be destroyed, the eternal kingdom of heaven will not be destroyed. And people say, well, heaven will be destroyed. No. I said before, the word heaven means space. And the rest of space will be destroyed. But the kingdom of heaven is eternal. I will never be destroyed. He is the creator and sustainer of all creation and ultimately controls all destiny. Verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? So no angel has ever or will ever be exalted to the right hand of the Father. Never. That's what Lucifer wanted. And this position belongs and always has belonged to the Son of God. Quoting from Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. See, in that psalm, King David heard a heavenly conversation between the Lord, Yahweh, and David's Lord, Adonai. This is between God the Father and God the Messiah. The verb said is in Nahum, a word often used to depict an oracle or a revelation. And in this oracle, Yahweh, that's God the Father, said that David's Lord, the Messiah, is seated at Yahweh's right hand. The Lord said to my Lord, the place of authority until the consummation of the ages. At that time, the Lord will send David's Lord, the Messiah, to make his enemies subject to him, a footstool. And it pictures complete subjugation. With his scepter, the Messiah will rule over his enemies. Verse 14. He says, are they not all ministering spirits? Now he's talking about the angels. He lets them know he believes in angels. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? The angels are ministering spirits. They're to work on our behalf in the invisible realms. But they have nothing to do with our salvation. They minister to those who will inherit salvation. We may have encountered angels and not known. In Hebrews chapter 13 verse 2 it says, Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. But also remember, more important than angels, we have the third member of the Godhead ministering to us. And through us, the Holy Spirit. And let's remember the Holy Spirit is God. Who Jesus said he would send to all Christians. In John 16, verse 13 to 15. However, this is Jesus speaking. When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take up what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he, that's the Holy Spirit, will take of mine 
and declare it to you. We have the whole Godhead mentioned there. When people say the word Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible, no, but the Godhead is. But we remember, the Godhead is not they, but God is one. We never think of the God the Father, God the Son as they. There's one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he, the Holy Spirit, glorifies Christ to us and in us, in Christ alone. Amen. Thank you.